another Monday, another talk about that, uh, another series of delightful and informative conversations. I think it's cool to be coming out on Monday because people, Monday's like traditionally a tough day, right? Yeah. You're starting the slog of your week. Ooh, slog. That's a nice... And we give you that little boost that you need. Yeah. I've not had a normal week in a long time. Like, I've been doing comedy full-time since 2012, and so then your weeks get thrown out like... You know, a Monday is my first day off of the week, usually. Like, I'm getting home. So, a Monday feels like a weekend to me. And then the last year and a half of my life has been like, what day is it? Right. I don't know what day it is. But I'm sure, like, for people who have just worked through everything, they're just like, yeah, Monday's like a case of the Mondays. <laughs> and we're trying to help. We want to help. Monday always feels good to me just because it's the day after Sunday. I, mean, I don't dislike Sundays, but that's my big work day. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess every day is a big work day. Johnny, how do you feel about Sabbath? They, like in general? Yeah, like do you think, do you think, I, I do believe. I don't think we observe it. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, that's true. Like I really do believe that humans are made to rest one seventh of their life. And we, I don't come anywhere close to that. Well, if you count sleeping, we rest a third mm -hmm. of our life. Mm -hmm. Did no. I just blow your mind with math? Wake, I think waking time. Oh, waking rest. Yeah. Like a time when you're not engaged, it's not up to you. I think there's a lot you don't know about me. <laughs> you're like, I Sabbath a lot. <laughs> I am meeting all of God's principles. Um, no, I don't know. It's, yeah, I think that we, that's the whole thing about the, there's a lot of workaholics in this country and everywhere probably. We're just raised to be like achievers. So it feels like we're we're going against our achievement mentality or we're becoming lazy. Like, like I was raised at like, that's the worst thing you could say about somebody is that they were lazy yeah. or crazy, crazy and lazy yeah. are like the most dismissive yeah. things you can say. Reminds me of a song I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, that was a horrible song, but it, it was. was really cool music. It was, I don't know. I liked on. the music. Man. It was all E chords up and down the entire yeah, we just... Because I had learned... You had taught me. Yeah. You could take the C chord up. I was like, I'm going to write a song. And I did. And we recorded it. <sighs> mm-hmm. It Johnny, was called what? Crazy. You, did you know... I think this is... It's like a Dr. Seuss crazy, lazy, hazy. Yes, yes. They were horrible. Uh, were they right? Jay-Z wasn't rapping yet, or he would have been in oh, it. Oh, my goodness. You knew how bad I was. It's like, I wonder if Manic Monday was written today, the Bangles Manic Monday, right. if it would definitely have the word Hyundai in it, right? <laughs> You ever think about that? Like what songs would have pop culture references differently? Well, my least know? favorite song of, it, it drives Laura crazy because she loves it. One of my least favorite songs is uh, You Have to Let It Linger, the Cranberries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all like we we said the word finger. Yeah. So, so now, now we have to say linger. Do you have to? Do you have to? Do you have to? I'm like, oh my gosh, how did this song make it? Yeah. And it's horrible. It sounds like. Again, I don't mean to be crude. It's a like, big hit, John. Like a, I think like you're, a middle schooler. you're besmirching a gigantic hit. You know, I used the word besmirch singer, yesterday. I think that singer died this past year, too. Well, I'm not besmirching her character. or oh, I'm just... Look, I was a horrible songwriter, but none of mine... Died. None of mine ever Maybe took Maybe she's off. a zombie. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was another Cranberry oh, song. Oh, my goodness. No. Uh, but yeah, that's a good song. It's just... You don't like the... I don't like no it. No one says, do you have to let it linger, when they're referring to like... I don't know. Like it's, anything. It's just a stretch to say, it's the hey, hook. in our relationship, do you have to let it linger? Like, no one says, no. it's a very, I wrote this line because it rhymes with finger. Yes. It's so evident to me that that's what happened. Because as a bad songwriter, I, n I recognize these things. <sighs> if I knew how to write good songs, I would have. Yeah. So I know the patterns like of bad finger, songs. Like like you could put... Oh. Like a dinger, like a, the, like a like baseball, like a home run is sometimes called a dinger. Like if you're if it was, if you're in love with a baseball player, thing writes itself. Oh no. my goodness! That would Did you been... have to hit a dinger? I don't know. <laughs> Did you have to? Did, Did you have to? Did you have to? It's about Barry Bonds. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Verses are all about steroids. Steroids are lingering. <laughs> Not long though, man. He lost a bunch of weight when he retired. That's the thing when you when you say never use drugs, and then the minute you retire, you look he like was. Jimmy Walker. You know what I'm saying? Like Urkel. Like he yeah. lost like sixty pounds in his head. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you're like, I think he might have been lying about that. Hey, those steroids went straight to his head. <laughs> they did. That guy, uh, this success. He's like Barry Bonds on steroids. That's that my favorite. Yeah. <laughs>
Every time I take steroids for like a, right. a cold or whatever, I use your joke. I used to have a joke about it. I was really nervous about trying steroids, but Lance Armstrong assured me, it's just like riding a bike. <laughs> I remember I told that joke in Austin one time, and it did not go over well. Because it was in the middle of like, maybe we believe him, maybe we don't. Yeah. Still. like Then he came out and was like, hey, I cheated. But before that, I was just like making jokes about it. Oh, man. And he's from Austin. That's where he's based. And so yeah. I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like... Huh? Where am I at? I'll, I'll do my you. I'll do my Whataburger joke here and my you know and then I just did my. Hey, speaking Lance of we're, we're joke. getting a Whataburger. I've heard people are very excited about burger chains, and I just don't get it. Burgers, I mean, how many times? How many ways can you do a burger? Burgers are good. I don't know. I like a McDonald's double cheeseburger. Yeah, I'm easy. Yeah, but it's hard. Listen, like I think it's about scarcity. Like Aaron Weber, uh, who's a comedian friend, he talked about this about how In and Out is like. People vault it to the moon. If you live in the South, like go out west, oh, you got to try it out. You go to Texas, I got to try yeah. it out. And they talk about it like it's this religious experience, but it's about scarcity. Like if he said his 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 hypothesis is that if there were less McDonald's, you'd be like, dude, you got to try the Big Mac. Yeah, you know, no, that is true. Because In and Out, the first time I had it was in Dallas, and I was like, well, this is this it's is, a very good burger. It's good. The fries are a little but be honest ordinary. with you. I have, I believe all these things are tied to memory. Yeah. And especially to childhood memories if you have any of them. But if you have any of them, about, you know, I've blocked them all out. <laughs> I didn't mean like Sorry in, to those of you who, I didn't mean in general. If you have any. I just meant like, you know, McDonald's is still special to me because it was a treat when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, uh, and I, by the way, the food that built America, they just did this part of the history of McDonald's when, in order to counteract. It was they they were counteracting the chicken sandwich. So Burger King made the that's first, still going on. That's so funny. Yeah. There was chicken wars even then. Yep, the first chicken sandwich came out. It was right when, like in the late seventies, the uh, U.S. Department of Health yeah. started saying, "Hey, you know, uh, high saturated fats, yeah. all these kinds of things are bad for you." And so their answer was they started eating fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Like they're not knowing, not know, grilled yet. Right, they're not even grilling it. And Burger King, it was like a huge coup. But it's in, still not red meat. Maybe it is better for I don't know if it's better for you. Uh, than red in the meat. market, it was a huge coup. Yeah. You're still getting French fries. It was a, a coke. It was a cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> it was a okay. <laughs> and so, and so they they literally uh, couldn't find an answer to it. Yeah. They don't want to make a chicken sandwich, and mm-hmm. so Ray Kroc has them. I mean, he he hired this gourmet chef. Uh huh. Brought him on, and it was like, I want you to figure out. And so the process that brought chicken nuggets about, which changed the whole world, yeah, was like several years. Like, he was making pot pies. He was trying all kinds of things, and he is a literal, like, he had been the chef to uh, Queen Elizabeth. Oh, and wow. all of, like, I'm talking a world-renowned chef, worked for McDonald's yeah. for several years in, like, development. And... He came up, he had he had deep fried, one of the VPs was walking through, and it was all this stuff, and Croc was horrible to work for, and everybody couldn't stand him. He was super hard on everybody. Mm-hmm. But one of the have guys- Have you seen the founder? I've not actually oh, seen you it You need yet. to, it's really good. And he came through, and he had, what did he deep fried? He had these little things, and he had deep fried- um, A shoe. No, it was a vegetable <laughs> or something of some sort. Yeah. And, and the guy didn't like it, but the guy goes, could you do this with chicken? And so the first time- because chicken was labor intensive, mm-hmm. deboning it and all that it was the first time we went and figured out, like, oh, okay, we can basically make this into a mash, right? Reconstitute chicken in <laughs> our own image, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, and they went through the whole process. And chicken nuggets then was the answer to Burger King's chicken sandwich, uh, and it completely they they sell more nuggets than they do burgers. It's, you know, the funniest part of that is when you said McDonald's was a treat when you were a kid, because now I feel like it's the go to for parents who were just like, I didn't make a plan. No, it wasn't. Like tr- I, I, I bet you there's families that their kids would get McDonald's five times a week. Uh, I am one of those families. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> when, when we're on the road to volleyball or whatever, we just don't have... I Dude, mean, a Diet Coke just, from the pump at McDonald's. It's the best It's the best Diet Coke It is that you can get. I don't we, know what it is about their Diet Coke. And I'm sure their regular Coke is like, you know, great yeah. too. But I'm saying like their Diet Coke, there's something about it from the McDonald's pump. It's so good. Well, the that was the reason we started this whole thing. It was a treat, but it yeah. was regular. It, you just, it, I don't know. You just regularly got treats. I just regularly just got like treats. Just like my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Every time my dogs come inside from outside, they look at the counter where I keep the little bag of pepperoni. I have uh-huh. these little strips, little Slim Jims. Yeah. 
And they think that that's the reward just for coming in from outside every time. Like I give them one a day the first time they go out in the morning yeah. and they come back in, I give them that. But now every time they come in, there's like, they look at that counter and they look at the bag like, all right, yep. we did our job. Yep. So the, well, Ace, if I've called him yeah. and he comes in, I give him a treat every time. And it's oh, worth it. right. Yeah. So, but if he just comes on his own, he doesn't. And I tell him as such. Uh, it's too late to train my dogs. They're crazy. <sighs> they do what they want. Well, they run they, the roost. Talk about training. So mm-hmm. that's the other big thing McDonald's did. Talk about training. Talk the new about podcast training. from the creators of <laughs> is the the Happy Meal. Yeah, that's the other thing that that put them completely sure. And it did it back to our original there, idea. Something to choke on for the kids. Well, beautiful. It, it literally trained kids. Now you, I do believe our obsession with McDonald's is tied to that great little box with that oh, little right. worthless toy it had the little like you could do doodles on the back with a yeah. little it had a little maze and little uh fun facts about things yep. and yeah and immediately captured uh, multiple generations now so i don't necessarily want to go to mcdonald's but it every time there is something about it that i'm reliving you know there there's yeah. a something it's a special yeah yeah so, that's powerful um yep. that's the reason like i used to do parodies in my show uh, and I started like not liking them as much. There are a lot of hassle. We've talked about that before about how you're supposed to get all these right, weird, like you're supposed to pay residuals or yeah. you're supposed to record your own original version, which that's one end around. Yeah. But you're protected by satire laws technically to do a parody and then monetize it. But it's a very like gray area. And I always felt weird about it. But beyond that, I just didn't want to be like, you'll be the Christian weird owl. Like right. I just kept hearing that. And I was like, I don't want to, I want to be myself. Right. And so I started like being more attracted to doing like, parodies of like genres of songs and writing my own original stuff right. and it'll be short little like pull the carpet out carpet out you know at mm-hmm. the end of the song kind of little bits and that's what i do now in my show but the thing about a parody that's so powerful that you really can't get from another thing is that touchstone moment because they're connecting to that song that right. they grew up with or that they know the tune to and then when you add your funny lyrics over the top it's like it's always a win unless you're just b- really bad at it yeah it's like this you, it's like it'd be like playing baseball and you start on second base. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it's like when you walk out. Like I used to walk out to a Kings of Leon song that was my opener, and it was a very recognizable song. And the minute I hit the first note and I can actually sing, and they have a song they recognize, I am. It's a double right then. Yep. All I got to do now is like find my way home. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas when you start with a regular song, you're just like, all right, I'm just trying to lay down a hit here. Yeah. We're back to baseball. I don't know how. But wow. I know a lot about baseball, John. You know that. <laughs> Speaking of, by the way, University of Tennessee is in the College World Series. I heard. First time in like That's it. Are they still doing years. that in uh, Omaha? Omaha. So That's imagine. Like, that whole town's built around that stadium and that culture. I'm and, glad it's back because they didn't have it last year, right? Uh, they had to cancel it for COVID. No. I don't know where they played. Vanderbilt won it last year. Oh, okay. Thing. I didn't think they even played yeah. it. But, you know, you can imagine Peyton Manning, because, you know, his call right. Omaha. is Omaha. So all, the videos right now, and him with the baseball team, because he loves it. Anytime a, yeah. a Tennessee team of any sort is doing oh, well, that's funny. Peyton flies in, and he's such a an ambassador for the university still, yeah. you know. But the Omaha stuff is hilarious. But um, How many people named their kids, girl or boy, Peyton? Oh, I know, I know people. Because of that guy. Like, I've met some Kobe's. Mm-hmm. In my in the last few years, yep. But there's a lot of Peytons in Tennessee and Indianapolis yep. and you know, Indiana. Neyland's another name. Oh, is it really? People use yeah. I know multiple huh. Neylands. Neyland Peyton. Um, not any Fulmers. I haven't seen that. So, but <laughs> no Fulmers. Did you say? Yeah, I haven't heard anybody named Fulmer. I'm trying to think of what. Fulmer, what... get over here. And the family, <laughs> their their dog. Like if you had a big my name dog. Fulmer, get in here. We realize that we landed on the perfect name for our dog now. Like. You know, Ace, because of volleyball, yeah. it has a volleyball connection because it's Sadie's dog. Right. And then... Ace is like a perfect serve, right? It's a, Unreturned it, serve. Right. It's like you score on the serve without right. doing it. Yeah. yeah. And then it also, it has, I can put it into a Latin form, so it has a long name. It's really important to me this for my dog. This is really dumb. Ignatius. This is getting, you know what I'm saying? So that's his... That's you his, say Ignatius to him? Occasionally, yeah. Like he, he has... <laughs> this is ridiculous. He has a name... That's, you know, this is his nickname. I well, mean, we've talked about, there's there's actually a TikTok phenomenon where they'll say, 
what's the name of your dog and what are the other names that you call him that aren't his name? And then people will use the like little Siri voice to say the names. It's kind of a funny thing. And they'll have the dog in the shot. Yeah. And they're reading these list of names. And you said yours for like Brutus was like Bruti and Brutimaeus. Brutimaeus, Bruti, yeah. Bruki. It had all kinds of stuff. And it made me think like I have some for Toby. Like I say, you know, uh, I walk in every time when they're there. I go, well, look who it is. I always say, well, look who it is. They think that's their name. (laughs) Poots McGillicuddy. That's one. Poots McGillicuddy. Uh, And uh, Shaggy McGee. Sometimes I'll say something, some version of their name. Like we're trying to get Toby to jump in the bed at night because like he'll wait on the floor. It's dark and we can't go to sleep until he gets, because he's clicking around on the floor. We have hardwood. So like, get in the bed, Toby. 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 And then Curry will start in. I'll be like, Toby. Toblerone. Steven Tobolowski. (laughs) <laughs> Tobu, Tobias, and then we just go through the whole thing, and then finally I've settled on um, morbid obesity. Um, <laughs> so he usually gets in the bed for that. He one. does that. It's one. like a half inch. So I'm nagging him a little bit. Right. It's a, it's a, right. You shame him into the bed. So it's morbid obesity, and then my other chubby dog is uh, type two diabetes because she's Daisy. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, we call him for some reason. He's he gets called Bubba a lot. Oh, um, and Ace that, is called Bubba. Yeah, he's not a Bubba dog. That's a little dog. I can't help it. I don't know how it happened. Right, and whatever. Then, and then that turns into Bubby. You know, it just it, it it just gets his. I don't know. It just adapts the more yeah. he does stuff. Um, but the name of your yeah, it's important. I, I don't think anyone calls their dog. I mean, unless there's like a hunting dog or whatever. Right. Then you but, need like to establish right. that. No, my dog's but if you're just being playful, you end up with all these weird. Yeah, uh, they're they're literal pet names. They're pet yeah. names for they're your pet, pet names. Yeah. yeah, I like it that it's a name though. Again, that has multiple meanings. That's important, Johnny. Ignatius, what's Ign- wrong with you? <laughs> From the Greek, I believe it means. <laughs> Remember those bookmarks you would get in the Christian bookstore that would have your name and what it meant? Yeah. And it would always be like I just I always had this dark like feeling like I wanted someone's name to mean like you know <laughs> enemy of God you know <laughs> just to see the kid's face like fall because they always been like come here come here Damien yeah like yeah, sent yeah, from like above a- they always said like gift from God or yeah. chosen you know and then I just wanted one kid to be like what does Claire mean and they look at it and it's like you know. <laughs> <laughs> Destined for hell. It means oh. purgatory. What in the world? Like, well, you know, Sarah means bitter, but it okay. but it also means I think princess. So it's like whichever uh, so you one choose, you, you choose, like, the one that's a little <laughs> bit on the. If you, we're a, not going to sell a lot of these bookmarks, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> this means bitter. Oh, that's funny. It would be great though. We need to make our own line of Christian name bookmark especially with all these new names they're not in the bible yeah so we could say like we've taken this we could lie but we just say we've taken skylar and, and bryce and all these other new names tanner research the and closest. we've researched the yeah. closest uh you know hebrew <laughs> origins and what we've come up with is <laughs> you know let's just make weird stuff murderer <laughs> so good luck skylar you know it's weird things like it means dog walker right like it has like (laughs) it means a vocational school (laughs) what do you what do you think about that it's weird (laughs) the the rudimentary translations are uh wow you really that's funny that's funny we should though that's a market that's a market that's untapped it's true although christian bookstores are all like gone so it'd have to be like a website thing correct i told you the story of the that almost got my first book deal and it was like in motion. They were working oh, out the right contract. Oh, right as Zondervan and all that goes and down. And then that well, it was, it was uh, a denominational house, and they were oh. going to give me three books. Yeah. And then, like the day or two before, I thought I'd hear back from them. They're like, "Hey, we just shut down all of our bookstores, <sighs> so no." Man, it's brutal, <laughs> I was right? Like, oh man, it's like our producer Travis Wyrick, um, who's won many Dove Awards, but back in the day, he was in a group called Sage, and they were like this local phenomenon in, in Knoxville and in East Tennessee. They were traveling. They were touring. They opened for Bon Jovi. They did some cool things. Yeah. And they were just like a, I don't know what you would call them, like glam rock yeah. band in the era of that. It was like 90, 1990, 1989. They started probably 86, 87. So they're right in the wave of like the Motley Crues and the Bon Jovis and the hair bands. Yeah. And they're really good, and they're starting to get like some traction. And they were scheduled to meet with Sony and sign a deal. And then literally, like Travis, I think Travis told me like a month before their meeting, like grunge, they get this call, and the guy says, "We're sending all of our executives to Seattle." Wow. 
and because there's this whole grunge thing and we're like taking a total the industry's going a different direction so we're holding all acquisitions right now of any other style of music and so it's like he just missed his window wow. because of the timing it's really yeah. it gotta be strange it's like rap core was a thing in the 90s yeah like what do you do and what you do is just the whole world changes overnight and you're just like you're limp biscuit yeah and the world decides that's not cool anymore and you're like this is what i do yeah. I rap over electric guitars. What did you shouldn't be doing that? Didn't is what the Kid Rock is. find a way to transition? Well, he did the whole like I'm a country trailer trash guy, even though it's funny he's from Detroit, right? Like and he's from a really wealthy suburb in Detroit. I mean, he was that rock core. I'm stuff, not like hating on Kid Rock, core. although whatever Kid Rock's. But he was is. rap core at one point, right? And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then and then suddenly he's. Does he do country music? This is how disconnected from country music I am. I think what he does now is kind of nostalgia because his shows are like, he plays the hits. So but he'll I do see the Ba with the Ba, and he'll also do his like Sheryl Crow country song that he did with her. Remember that duet? I'll oh, see him so... open for country artists all the time. I'm right. like, what, what kind of music is he doing? I don't know what it is, but he somehow got into that world because he's like, I wear a white tank top and a... Right, it's like... He he tried to he tap looked, into Americana, yeah, right? From and he plays a little guitar, but yeah, he's he's kind of like I think he kind of talks things. I don't I don't know. I, I think I see it. him on the Grand Ole Opry side right. when I go by. I'm like, what is Kid Rock doing? Yeah. at the Grand Ole Opry, he's there, man. He somehow he, I think it's like when you cross pollinate, and you have a lot of friends in that industry. People are like, wouldn't it be wild if Kid Rock did a song? And then it just worked for some reason. Uh. I mean, I, I guess that was his lifeboat away from that other genre. I mean, maybe yeah. surely had enough But I'm money. telling you, he probably still does shows and does those old, like, hits that are rap core, and he, the crowd loves him. Because, again, it's Touchstone. It's your, if you grew up with that, yeah. you're not going to make new fans with that music. Well, it's but, Darius Rucker doing Hootie songs at his shows. Yeah, which I wonder how he does that, unless he, maybe the, there's some agreement with the group, or maybe he wrote them and so I mean, they're his property. I would go because I want to hear the Hootie songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what if you if you get there and he just does all of his country hits and you're like, feel, boo, you know, and it's boo. Like, I mean, he's a big deal in country music, but I just don't. Uh, he is. Maybe his music. That's good. another guy who got like he made it twice. Yeah, he started over and made it twice. Oh my goodness, that's nuts. Yeah, Green Day kind of did that. Like they had their big huge splash, then they went away, then they did like a Broadway musical. Yeah, and then they did like two more huge records. I'm not a Green Day fan. Well, I'm just telling you, they did it, John. You don't have to be their fan. I'm not a to fan. Acknowledge their I will, I impact to be on none. society. And I love that kind of music, but I, I can't handle his voice. It's he's he's he. He's not screaming. He's like up in his head voice, yelling at yeah. you the whole time. When I cut it, it's like there's one. What was that? It was a when I come around. Yeah. But like he's doing it though in the verses the same way. It's like the whole time yeah. there's no there's no differentiation of dynamic. Like I need a dynamic shift. I want you to go away so I can miss you. You know what I'm saying? How dare you, John? Oh my! They're never gonna make it. So yeah, yeah. We were talking about this at lunch, but like movies and shows that come out, you like it. We've grown up with this, but it wasn't always this way. Somewhere in our childhood, it became commonplace to see, like, the weekend numbers from a movie. Uh That was not, like, when I was a little kid, that was not true. Like, Superman 3 would come out, and you'd just be like, it was good, it was bad. You might read a couple of reviews, and then you'd just be like, yeah, I went. Or this may go like, no, I didn't see it. Yeah. Now it's like, you know right away, like, you can tank a movie by hearing the numbers of how it did the first weekend. Like yeah. if like uh, Fast and Furious Nine or whatever is coming out this weekend, it's expected to be like the big bounce back movie from movies like theaters because they've been in the doldrums mm-hmm. because nobody's going to theaters. But now they've held these releases of some of these blockbusters summer, and now they're like, this will be the one that brings everybody back. But if it doesn't, like we're gonna know, and it could affect like you could it go, could oh, that only did that only did, million, that only did twenty million. That only did twenty million. I would stay home. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, that's a new, relatively new thing. It's only a, a couple of three decades old, maybe. But I wonder if because it doesn't do as well, it doesn't stay in the theater as long. Yeah, like, I wonder if it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. I don't know, but it's like I, the thing that it's fascinating to me about it, and we talk about the music thing too. If something is popular and you like it, it becomes this thing of like I liked, it. and it, that became a thing in the nineties and two thousands too, like emo. 
where or like uh, underground where an artist would get big that you've liked forever and you would turn your back on them because now they've changed. Yeah. But for the most part, in the beginning, you were rooting. You're like, yeah, finally, someone else discovered this great thing. But I think with movies, it's like if you like something and then it becomes a hit, it confirms that you have good taste. And that's the most important thing to a consumer is to feel like we have our finger on the pulse. Right. Like Mission Impossible 3 was good. I told y'all. And then it makes $150 million, You're like, see? Yeah. I'm amazing. It has nothing to do with you, but somehow you take a little bit of like a credit from it. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just really do feel that. That like if a band has a huge whirlwind tour and you go, yeah, I was there. I was there in St. Louis when they did the blah, blah, blah. And it was amazing. You're talking about your moment. It's not really even about the band anymore. Yeah. I even think when I book shows, when I used to think that about my, my calendar. I was like, no one cares whether or not I have a show at their venue or their church or whatever I do. What they care about is what they're picturing in their head when they book me is the Monday after in the staff meeting with everybody giving them the attaboy that what a great event that was. And they want that win. They, they may want an event for their church too, but I'm saying like if they're the booker and they're putting their neck out there for me, yeah. they're picturing that moment where they're validated from choosing me. And I want to give them that win. Interesting. Because I'm picturing that moment too. I'm picturing in my head – this guy's going to get gang tackled on Monday morning because he brought me in because it was such a home run. See, Again, baseball. I think I think that you get gang tackled in baseball. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, if you win the World Series, they get they rush the mound. <laughs> no, that's the wrong sport, Johnny. Yeah. That's football. Um, I really think, and you're going to roll your eyes, but don't. I, I think you're coming around a little bit. Is this going to be an enneagram? Well, I think that, I think what. I think you're assuming something about all consumers that yeah. I think is going through a lens of yourself. No, and I'm open to it. I'm no, saying this, I, I'm just going my, like I'm saying this is what I feel. Or do you think this is true? No, I, I think my wife who's a two, yeah. if she was in charge of putting on the event, it really would be about the experience of everyone who came. Yeah. She would care more about that than about, because you and I, I think, or, sure. or, you're a six, I think, or a seven with a strong six wing, that what we fear is being targeted or blamed. Yeah. And so we also then desire the opposite of that. We desire to be as a, as loyal as important to the organization and to bring wins. Yeah. So yes, when we do it, I'd always think, what good did this do or bad did this do? And was I blamed for it or was, was I responsible for its good in the overall narrative of this organization? Like I, I think very big like that, you yeah. know, and that's why we talk about whether we're an event church now or not an event church, because it's all about how it plays into the, the bigger picture. Well, again, my wife will literally think of things if we have someone over or whatever in terms of its success was what – not even how did they like it. That's not even her highest success. In an unhealthy place it can be, but generally for her, she's pretty healthy on this. It is just a – oh, I I wanted them to enjoy this. Yeah. Like it's, it's – no, she's so other No, I think so that too, but that's what I'm saying. That is success for a comedy event. If you look out there and people are laughing. Yeah, both will happen. It's just different motivations for what you got. Yeah, and I don't think it's a it's 100% one side or the other, no matter what where you fall on the spectrum. But I do think, like, think about merch, too. Like, when I started talking to people about, like, I wanted to do a T-shirt. And I was like, should I put one of my jokes on the T-shirt? The first T-shirt I did was my joke about people who don't believe in autocorrect go, go straight, straight to, to heel. heel. And I put a little iPhone. I had my buddy Brett design this iPhone design and he put it on the iPhone in a cool text. We started selling them in, at some of these shows. And I was touring with Tim Hawkins quite a bit then, so I was getting in front of big crowds. And it was funny and it would sell a certain amount. And then I got one that said, uh, I don't speak Latin per se. It sold less. It was very like an inside, it's kind of a Probably my, my like favorite a, joke of yours. Right, of I love time. it. It's like yeah. a cerebral thing. And the people yeah. that loved it loved it. Ignatius but I, it loves sold it. like one tenth of what the autocorrect sold. Yeah. So I'd take them out sometimes. Sometimes I wouldn't. And then my buddy Marty was selling this shirt that said, it just said, my love language is sarcasm. It's just a very, like, it's not even a joke. It's just like yeah. this thing. And they would just fly. And I was like, dude. And so I started licensing those shirts from him and taking them out with me. And I've probably sold, like, th I've sold several thousand of those shirts. Wow. And what I've come to realize is, like, people, if you buy, if you sell a piece of merch at a show, and I always tell other comedians this. If you, if you are selling a shirt that makes you look clever, like as a comedian, like they'll love this clever joke I wrote, mm -hmm. you're already kind of in the wrong headspace. 
because when somebody's buying a shirt, what they're picturing in my mind is, and I've asked people about this too, they're picturing themselves being seen as funny yep. by wearing it. Yep. So if you don't already have that, don't make a hundred of those shirts. Mm-hmm. They'll be in your garage. Like people buy that. Sh- whenever people buy the sarcasm shirt, it's always somebody going, people say this about me all the time. I have to have this shirt. Mm-hmm. That is so me. And they're picturing being the sassy person at the you know church picnic or the family gathering who's wearing that shirt look at aunt judy this is so true and they're they get the little like dap from wearing that shirt right that's worth the 20 bucks to them now that's not me being like self whatever i'm saying like that's an that's truly like i've polled people on this or they come to the table saying this yeah well what they're doing is is they want something that reinforces a part of them they want to be true well everybody wants to be funny and so when you wear a shirt that makes people laugh Yep. And they go, where did you get that? That is, I've been told this my whole life. And then people start ordering it off this website. Yeah. Like, it's it's interesting. Uh, but it's not really like a jokey joke shirt, like, set up punch. It's right. Just it, wasn't as, it wasn't in theory as well-crafted as your other shirts. But, but it didn't matter. It, it's it about tapped, yeah. the accessibility is more important. And, like, the feeling, it's like the whole, like, what's the Maya Angelou thing? That people will forget what you said and did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. I think there's a thing that, like... When you're designing a product or you're trying to think about your own brand or just how you live your life, yeah, it's like, what are you, how are you making people feel? What is, is there an accessibility to you? Likeability? We talked about likability a little bit last week, but like this idea of being likable in what I do and maybe even what you do um, is so important. Like, it's easy for a pastor to be like, I'm just going to tell him the truth and that's all that matters. Yeah. But I just don't. If you can't, get, if they can't get past your personality to even listen to you because they've decided you're a jerk or you're aggr- uh, aggressive and abrasive, yeah. So I do think there's an idea. Now, again, you could go to the other side of the scale and be like, "I'm going to say whatever will tickle their ears." Like I understand that there's that blend. It's a super super difficult um, balance because yeah. we were having to talk on the staff call this morning yeah. about that a little bit, and I made the joke. I was like, "Well, I spent my life as a people pleaser," and I'm really amazed when I'm now as a speaker or as a you know a pastor when i'm saying what i think god wants them to hear yeah i'm amazing and i'm amazed at the idea of how many of them dislike me <laughs> yeah like i i wanted to please them how displeased they are yeah. at times with that and it is a uh it is a weird you know i said some things sunday last sunday mm-hmm. that i think are important you know and i addressed because Second Thessalonians addressed them. That's the book I was in. Yeah. It's literally the entire book is about this sort of obsession, conspiracy, fear-based uh, concept. The whole church was wrapped around based upon the second coming of Christ and rumors mm-hmm. that it had already happened. And they're saying Paul had said it and Paul had not. And it was just making them afraid. And they also were not focusing on the principles of the gospel that are life giving. They were focused on, you know, outskirt things, though yeah. the second coming is huge and important. It's just not foundational in terms of us knowing when, knowing the details of when. And so Paul right. was, you know, doing all this. So it's it's like a one to one comparison, I feel like, to today in so many areas with the conspiracy mindset and those things. So I mean I had to say things like I was there was a time in my life I was guaranteed if X happened that we would be under Sharia law. Guaranteed, like yeah. as prophecy. And that didn't happen. Yeah. And so my issue is not that someone made the mistake. My issue is, is there's no repentance or no turning away from that mindset or even from that prophetic voice, quote unquote, like that the scripture says, okay, we test this. It wasn't right. And now we stop listening to those sources and those sources, if they're truly in the faith, should have no problem saying I missed this and, and there's a repentance to it, not that leads to shame and condemnation, but a repentance that just says this is how it works. Yeah. <laughs> we make mistakes. So but I don't think people like that message. Right. Like I don't think everybody, you know, and some may think, Oh, here we go again, John's on his woke soapbox or whatever. I kinda get that impression sometimes. The, the woke box. Yeah. If you will. And it's like so to your point, like I'm not trying to sell anything anymore. I think there was a day 
when I mean, you're going to laugh at this. There was a day where I I did organize, and God's Word was preached. But I organized a series or wrote a series around movies. Yeah, and that day may come again. Everybody did that. You know, God at the box office or whatever. God at the movies. Yeah, and it's like this idea that you can, you know, we can find God's truth and all these things. I think yeah. it's great. It's very topical. It's a good excuse to play Tommy Boy clips, right? In your sermon. <laughs> and right now, that just feels. I'm not dogging. Again, I've done that. You know, but it feels to me like it would feel like I was not like there's a I forget who the author is, but there's an author who calls it the bleeding neck. And that is like Agatha Christie. If you have no, if you're going to try to figure out what needs to be addressed. And let's say you you come to a car, you come up with a car accident and someone has broken their ankle. Right. And someone has and they've they've, you know, uh Obviously, their wrist is really bruised and all these things, but their neck is bleeding profusely. Right. You triage. You you immediately go, oh, the right. bleeding neck There's is priorities. the problem. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when I come right now, the state of affairs in, you know, I mean, my gosh, just the Southern Baptist Convention this last week and all the changes and all the, the stuff yeah. about abuse and race and CRT and all these things. Like, there's there's a lot of bleeding necks. And so, for me to stand up and just talk about movies feels like mm-hmm. I am not triaging this appropriately as a shepherd to say, Hey guys, I, I know, you know, there's a, there's a twisted ankle here, but this is an, an imperative biblical yeah. way to think or believe. And unfortunately it's like a lot of people would rather you deal with the ankle and, and I don't know. So I just, how that plays into, I do believe the consumerism mindset of ministry has to be extracted at some point. And I'll say it's like watching a science experiment from outside of myself Watching a people pleasing guy his entire life mm-hmm. not please people. You now, people did walk up and talk to me about it or whatever. You know, it's one of those men, right. man, you said a, ooh, it was a lot of stuff I needed to hear today. It was, it was a true, like, yeah, yeah. like it wasn't a man, it was the best. It was a, that, I know I need that. Right. It challenged me. And, and it's a, and I'm sharing that with you right. because we actually know each other. As well, a, you know, as opposed to the smoke screen of compliments yeah. that you get sometimes. Well, I think with humor, that's, there's the balance and there's the other extremes too. Like there's the thing of like, I get to be a hundred percent myself. If I want to be, I need like ability, uh, to, to really like get what I want to say across some of that. You can control some of it. You can't control. Cause sometimes people, sometimes people walk out and I've just seen their persona and you're like, I'm already rooting for this guy. And I don't even know why it's like right. intangible. But then there's the idea that like, if I wanted to just do very broad jokes, and try to attract a certain audience. I could just do certain material, and I've decided to do like the, I mix in some challenging things, or and I do think humor should offend sometimes too. Like there's a place, there's a time and a place for humor to challenge your idea. Yeah. Um, and I think we're losing that in some degree. I don't, I'm not going to sound the alarm on political correctness or whatever or sure. cancel culture and say like, why can't we say you know why can't we talk about uh, immigrants anymore? Like they're like there's, there's some of these comedians that have been getting by right on like just like debasing transgender people and they're like why can't I do that anymore? And you're like maybe you shouldn't have had that material. Like I I just don't know. Right. So I'm not saying that, but I do think that like humor should challenge. Like there's a wave of of comics who work in churches like I do, and they're starting to satirize goofy things within the church that we do that we've always just been considered normal. Yeah, and there might be people who would be offended at that because it's they've made that sacred. Yeah, and I think there's a place for that kind of joke, like where you go, why do we do this though? Is this really like I used to have a joke about testaments when I first started about how like why do we have to have our own breath mints? Our yeah. certs like evil, our tic tacs of the devil, really? <laughs> Did we need this? Now, that's not offensive, but it challenges this status quo a little bit. Right. And I think there's a place for that. So if I wanted to just be like generic, like, how can I make the most people like me? I'm not going to end up being very funny. But if I want to just be like, I want to say the angriest thing that I'm the most mad about, then I'm going to go to the other side and no one's going to listen because I'm just like screaming. I think it goes back some to that idea of, you know, there is a chance that your authentic self is not um, promotable. Yeah, like it, it, I'm, it, I'm very open to that right now. Every, I don't mean you. <laughs> I mean that. this is the yeah, uh, understood. You Turns out us. you're unhirable. Uh, <laughs> this is an intervention. Like if you find yourself having to fundamentally change your entire disposition yeah, yeah, in yeah. order to do something in entertainment or ministry, either right. one. Yeah, and then. 
I think there's a problem. Like there, and I've been thinking as you were talking. I was thinking like, where is the line of? I, I do believe that that a. I'm going to use a term here that's not internal. I rarely use it in this fashion, but the external community mm-hmm. or or congregation or crowd or whatever you want to call it, like the the audience. Yeah. Like there is an interaction with them that can tell you a lot about yourself, and I do believe. Like this whole be true to yourself movement basically just gives you a right to be a jerk mm-hmm. and and to say, don't worry about the consequences of the social consequences that come from that. That's their problem. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you know, can't handle me at my right. worst. You don't deserve <laughs> me at my best. And it's kind of like, you know, OK, I do believe the external community. I, I agree. There's there's always extremism to everything that can be unhealthy. Yeah. But, but OK, as a speaker, if I want to be effective then I do have to at least be mindful uh-huh. of what won't cause the audience to entirely shut down. The flip side of that is if I only think of the audience in terms of sales or in terms of growth, so yeah, yeah. sales for entertainment, growth for ministry, uh-huh. if I only see them as that, then I'm already in a disingenuous place. Um, now, if I'm a just an entertainer, it may not matter. Because my I think that goal, eventually it does matter because you, right. you, people see through it. Well, again, the worst stories in the world. You, you were talking about how people interact, and, and I was speaking with a comedian about that this last week. Like how people, what they buy at your table, or yeah. or what they do at your show is is a form of collaboration with you. Yeah, you know, there that's the highest honor. I want to be a part of this yeah. with you, and if I can add something to it, mm-hmm. uh, and somebody. Uh, and he'll laugh because he listens to podcasts. Somebody came to me and they had pitched you a joke the other day. You know, oh, right, and right. they came to me apologizing, like, "Hey, you know, that was your, that's your friend, and I, I may not know him well enough to." I said, <laughs> "That's all people do to Johnny." Oh, I don't care, and I it's the highest honor. I don't, because, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what it was either. But the, I, but I was like, he's not offended by that. No. That's, that means sometimes you get good stuff. It's like a good premise, yeah. at least. And you've engaged, though. Yeah, yeah. You're saying I like this so much, I want to be a part of it. Yeah, that's not offensive. Whether he uses it or not, I said, I pitch stuff to Johnny all the time he never uses. And, yeah. and then I was super bitter for a long time in the conversation. <laughs> no. But but I do think, like, where is the line to say I am learning something from this audience without – and that might – let's use these terms now. My true self or my authentic self should also be growing. Mm-hmm. I think we assume that your authentic self is stationary and static. Like, well, I'm just going to be who I am. Well, in Christ, who I am – is established and also should be, and there's a great word, maturing. Like I, I should be growing in maturity even though the essence yeah. of who I am is established. I should not be the same authentic self at 45 as I was at 25. I should know more about my motivations or how I, you know, why I respond as I do. But, you know, and I may be more forthright in yeah. some areas of life out of being more authentic, more willing to not be liked. Right. That's great. But it doesn't mean, though, that I should just take <laughs> everything I've ever wanted and just shut everybody out and say, nope, nope, this is me, right. and, and not allow room to grow through those things. Well, even like as I write, because now what you what I write from is just like my own fears and experiences and my own ideas. I write to learn how I feel about something. Yeah. And so, yeah, you learn about yourself. And I got to tell you, it's gross in here. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. You go. Is this something I feel? Is this something I want to say on stage? Now it's like that's the stuff that I'm. That's the stuff that makes it fun, though. You know, I did a joke about um, at Zany's this past week that I've been wanting to do for like four years, and I've I've done it like four times. And I was trying to figure out how to tell it, and it was like a. It's a story. It's a true story about health class and how the premise of it is how. Boys growing up, there's a lot of pressure on us to feel like we know everything there is to know about, like, sex and our bodies. And there's this pressure, like, I know, I know, and you don't know anything. And you're (laughs) hoping, what you're really hoping is someone will either tell you, you fake it till you make it. You hope that someone (laughs) in health class asks the question. Yes, that you desperately want to know the answer to. And you'll just sit there, cool as a cucumber, like, and you get to know now. Yeah. And so seventh grade. The health class heroes, that's what I call them. They're health class heroes. <laughs> there was a kid named Chad. He raises his hand sheepishly as Mr. Trawick is going over the anatomy chart. He gets to the ovaries, and Chad goes, Mr. Trawick, where are my ovaries? And Mr. Trawick said, son, you don't have ovaries. And so a lot of us laughed, and then some of us were like, what happened to Chad's ovaries? <laughs> and how does Mr. Trawick know? <laughs> 
And so that's like a story that I've wanted to tell forever. And I never knew that, that all that really happened. Wow. And I've kind of extrapolated like this bit from it, but it's like, I didn't know how to tell it. It's this super kind of embarrassed because you have to reveal about yourself something embarrassing. It's not just like, oh, Chad's an idiot. Yeah. You're admitting like, how can I find this common ground with the audience that we all felt clueless uh-huh. about our bodies when we're that age? And yet somebody fell on the grenade for us. How can I? Yeah. So it's that that adventure of trying to tell that joke for four years now. Like, that's why I do what I do. And I love it so much. But again, to get there, I have to give a part of myself to the audience and hope. Are we on the same page? It's like you say when you go, well, I don't know if everybody feels the same way that you do about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's the fear of like, what if I'm the only one right. experiencing <laughs> this? And you're just like, nope, just you, weirdo. Yeah. I do have that fear. Uh, it's a shame more than it is a fear. Like it's a, oh, I must be the only one who doesn't get something. Yeah. Which is funny because everybody feels that. Right. And when you get the laugh, that's everyone going, uh, me yeah. too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, you had this. Why, why such a great feeling? Yeah. It's well, like a big agreement, a big amen. You acknowledged collective vulnerability yeah. and then you neutralized it yeah, or or you validated it in a way that they could feel relief. I still look back and it's so funny, you know, the uh, Enneagram book I'm working on, when I look back, they talk a lot about your core, like what's your first childhood memory? What's your, you know, those go, go to those core memories on some things. Yeah. And, um, Man, you and I say this. I I could make my stomach churn if I went to certain memories. Yes. Still, I make like an audible sound sometimes when oh, I think of yeah. something. The fly you walk out with your fly mm-hmm. down in sixth grade. You're, I go, oh, I just remember it, and it, yeah, it's like there's a funny. It's a gross story, but I tell Sadie this story when I'm, in, and she actually likes it because it's uh, she'll she understands like, hey, this is about humility and sowing and reaping. Like I'm telling you, everything you do has a direct, you know, yeah, but. If you sow kindness, generally kindness comes back. And if, if you don't, it does not. I was like, I remember being in fourth grade and I was in the bathroom. All the boys were going to the bathroom and like I laughed or or did something and like snot just came right out of my nose. Oh, wow. And this boy, and this is such a like core memory for me. Uh-huh. It taught me something about yeah. life. This boy just <laughs> like in the bathroom, just me and the boys, you know, just right. laughed and made me and I felt dumb and stupid, you know. Same day, Johnny, yeah. same day, we're back in the classroom with all the girls and everybody and something happens where he sneezes and the same thing happens to him wow. except exposed to everybody. And I remember thinking wow. he laughed at me and then it came back worse for him. He was smitten. Yeah, I was like... He got smote. I don't remember... I don't remember, like, connecting it directly to God bringing snot out of the boy's nose. If I know anything about young John Driver, you 100% did. (laughs) You went home and said, thus saith... That's right. Touch not You have set a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Touch not my anointed. Yeah. Uh, Touch not mine anointed. <laughs> if you don't write, if this episode's not called yeah. Touch Not My Anointed, yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> I can't. Guys, I'm going to have to push pause and come back. That, that, <laughs> that tickled me so bad. But, you know, you just have that memory of like um, embarrassed. And of course, I think embarrassment sticks with you more than anything. At yeah. least it does for me. I don't want to be embarrassed. And I think it's still to this day. Now, it's revealed, again, in all your different Enneagram types. Anyone feels that. Yeah. You know, um, for someone, it's like, I don't I don't want to be found um, being, um, I guess, rejected. Yeah. Very similar thing. I don't want to be found, you know, being targeted, blamed, or laughed at. Someone else, that, that same sort of desire, the core desire of all humanity to yeah. belong, uh, you know, to, to have a place where you're, you're okay. And that, that like thing that's broken in us, in all humans, I was listening to, uh, Switchfoot, John Foreman says, um, you know, it's, he's, he's writing about we're, we're amateur lovers and amateur friends. Remember that song, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he says, my baby and me, we have the same, um, what is it? We're missing the same thing is the yeah. gist of it. Like this deficiency of love, but we can't get it 
through dating or relationships or sex or like we can't we can't so we just we don't know what we're doing but but we're let's do it again that's what he that's his whole tagline we're amateur lovers amateur mm-hmm. friends like there's this thing that's not being satisfied by all the things that we're seeking after whether it's fame or whether it's relationships but it's all relationships why do i want fame at, at, at the base desire of it as want to be known by as many people as possible in a positive way mm-hmm. so why do i want to be rich you know it, i mean alone it's probably not going to work i want people to think well of me that I'm successful and that I want to be able to provide for myself and them in a way that I don't have to worry. So it all comes back to I, I need to be known by somebody. You know, I'm trying to know myself to, to go there. So I just think it's this it's just this journey of I am collaborating with everyone around me in some way, whether I realize it or not. And I have to figure out what authenticity really looks like. And that's why, you know, there is a freedom. And I'll, I'll end that whole diatribe with this. Preaching to not please people is a different freeing experience. Yeah. I'm not trying to offend. I'm, I don't mind if the gospel does. And if I do, I don't mind apologizing for that. If it's, I'm not trying to distract away by being the opposite of that. But being not instead of being true to myself, <laughs> I'm trying to be true to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And in that, it's a whole—I just realized how, many, how long of my life—it's not that I was ever trying to not be true to the gospel, but— to say no above myself. Yeah, I'm going to do this, and, and you're so you might not like me, and that's what well. I'm glad you've opened the door you, for that yeah. because uh, I've been wanting to tell you this for a while. I don't like you, <laughs> <laughs> but listener, we hope that you've liked the time that we've had today. Mm. These and segues, you can, and you can you can find all our archived episodes on talkaboutthatpodcast.com. Go to our Patreon, kick in a few shekels if you feel led. Mm. We'd Even love, if you don't, maybe. Hey, we're leading you now. Yeah. Like, it's okay to be led. Yeah. I'm leading you right now to the fact that that would be a great thing We're not for trying to, to over-spiritualize it. Just do it. Yeah. We need your help. Just, just in from Jesus. He said you should just do this. As and, humans, we're asking you with no real spiritual oomph behind it. Yeah. Hey, it helps us make things. Yeah. So, anyway, if you want to do that, that's great. If not, we understand it's tight for some folks. That's good, too. Thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Yeah. That was very nice, Johnny. Yeah, I see? felt I felt that you acknowledged the place where everybody was. It's a new tack for me because I'm. It's manipulative, is what it is. I'm trying to be <laughs> humble in the hopes that they will be like, "What a humble guy!" And then the wallets fly open. Oh my goodness! I don't know. Turn in your wallet to page twenty. We'll see if it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, seriously, share it. Give us some good reviews. Uh, get a friend to listen, and uh, we continue the process of. Growing here through episode 163, I believe, John. So that's a lot. It's a lot. So. <laughs> but we'll have another one for you next week here on Talk About That. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.